Eighteen. You're listening to the RUF at UT podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace, and you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. If you have your Bible, can you hear me? Um, if you have your Bible, you can pull that out or follow along on the screen. Um, tonight's scripture lesson lesson comes from John 1, 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses, whom Moses in the law, and, whoops, Moses in the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him. How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of of Israel, Jesus answered him. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe me? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Really glad that you're here. Love that y'all are checking out RUF. I hope that you keep coming back. We want RUF to be a safe place, really, like Austin said, for anybody to come, regardless of where you find yourself spiritually, to come and explore the truth claims of Christianity with us. And this semester in RUF, what we're doing is we will be working our way through the Gospel of John, which I'm really excited about because uh, we're going to look at, I mean, it's 21, 22 chapters long, so it's a a big book. We're just going to hit the highlights of when Jesus interacts with people in one-on-one personal ways because he has all of these different interesting conversations. He has a conversation with a naked woman, which is scandalous. He has a conversation with a PhD religious scholar. He has a conversation that we'll look at with a sex addict. He has a conversation with one of his own disciples that has doubted him and has betrayed him. He has conversations with people that are mourning death. And and I think as we look at all of these different personal conversations that Jesus has with people, you put it all together and you'll see this collage of who Jesus really is, what he came to do. So that's kind of what we're going to do this semester. And to begin, I wanted you to think about, I'm sure some of y'all have read when y'all were younger. My wife and I, we had two small kids, and we occasionally read this book to our kids, uh, Are You My Mother? Anybody? Classic, traditional, classic text. And um, if you're unfamiliar with the plot, I'll summarize it for you real quick. The plot is there is a mama bird in a nest with an with a egg, and so she leaves to go get a worm for this soon-to-be-hatched chick. And while she's gone away to get the worm, the, the, the egg hatches, chick comes out and it falls out of the nest, lands on the ground, and it's totally disoriented. It doesn't know who it is. It doesn't know where it is. And so it goes out into the world searching. And it goes up to this kitten, and it asks, are you my mother? 
can automatically speak English. But it says, are you my mother? And the kitten looks at the, the, the chick and just kind of like gives this weird look. And so he, okay, you're not my mom. And he keeps moving. Goes to the next animal. It's like a dog. Are you my mom? No. Goes to the next thing. A hen. Uh, a, uh, a cow. A broken down car. A boat. I mean, on and on and on. Like throughout the whole book, this is what the chick is doing. And spoiler alert, here's how it ends. The chick finds its way back to the nest right when the mom returns with the worm. So it's like perfect, like Christopher Nolan stuff at the end of that book. (laughs) But the reason I begin that way is because I think in some ways that book is a parable about us. I mean, all of us are constantly searching for meaning. We move into the world and we're asking, maybe not are you my mother, but we're asking who am I? And we're trying to figure out what life is all about. And this is, this is one of the reasons why I love working with college students, because I think college students in particular, y'all are at a stage in life where you're just asking tons of questions. Think about this. If, if, if you're new to UT, you're asking UT-specific questions a lot this past week or so. Like, where in the world is Estabrook? Or um, if you're returning, you're like, what did they do to the reading room? I don't get it. Um, you're asking questions like, who am I going to sit with at lunch? Uh, am I going to tailgate before the first home game? Who am I going to sit with at the game? Who am I going to hang out with? What are we going to do this weekend? You're asking all these UT-specific questions. But you're also asking like identity questions in college. So you get here and you're asking questions like, who am I going to be? Am I going to be the same person I was in high school or am I going to be somebody new? And you can kind of try on a new style or a new personality. Some of y'all even have tr- like changed your names. You went by a certain name in high school and then you get to college and you're like, I want to be called something different. And we know who you are out there. <laughs> For me myself, I, um, I went through this short-lived phase in college where I went to a thrift store and I bought all of their three-piece suits. My thing was going to be, I'm going to wear vintage like suits with a vest and a tie to class every day. Lasted about a week. But that was my, uh, that was going to be my thing in college, the vintage suit guy. Um, You're asking uh, not just identity questions, not just UT questions. You're asking uh, academic questions, serious philosophical questions like, what is the deal with that new T-Swift song? Um, Maybe deeper questions like, uh, does science make belief in God obsolete? Or... um, Uh, how could a good and powerful God allow suffering in this world? Is the Bible reliable or is it just like a rat's nest of contradictions? Deep philosophical academic questions. But I think as you get older and as you progress through college, your questions get a lot more personal. You're asking questions, am I going to get married? And if so, to who? What am I going to do when I get out of this place? Uh, am I gonna, what am I going to believe about ultimate reality? Am I going to believe maybe what my parents taught me growing up or am I going to kind of ditch that and believe my own thing? My point is, we're always asking questions. We're always searching for meaning. And the question that I want you to consider tonight is this. Where do you go to get the answers to those questions? Where do you go for answers to life's biggest questions? And what I want to suggest to you is that I think that the Bible says that you should bring your questions to Jesus. Which I know only raises like a million more questions. Who is Jesus? Why would I do that? Why would bringing my questions to him benefit in any way? 
So I, I want to just kind of give three reasons why I think it would be important for you to bring your questions to Jesus. And we'll look at this story together. And here, here's what I want to look at tonight. You should bring your questions to Jesus because he welcomes them, he encourages them, and he answers them. So those are the three big ideas I want to look at with you tonight briefly. Jesus welcomes our questions, Jesus encourages our questions, and Jesus answers them. So let's look at how Jesus welcomes our questions. If you, if you look at the story, you, you should have it in your little thing, your little bulletin. The story opens with Jesus going around and he's recruiting disciples. And he, and he goes up to this guy named Philip, and in verse 43... He calls Philip to follow him. Philip's very excited to start following Jesus. Philip is kind of quickly uh, uh, convinced that this guy is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. He's the one that I've been waiting for for my whole life. And right after Philip starts following this guy, Jesus, he turns around and goes and finds his buddy, Nathaniel. And he's so like jacked to talk about Jesus with Nathaniel. And so if you look in verse... Uh, uh, oh, I don't, I don't have my thing. It's somewhere in there where he goes, look, we found the Messiah. This is the one that we've been waiting for. This is the one that can answer all of life's biggest questions. And he's, is this Jesus from Nazareth? And look at verse 46. Here's Nathaniel's like, uber snarky response to this Jesus talk. Verse 46. Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel just instantly dismisses all of this Jesus stuff. And here's why. Because Nathaniel would have been a you know, good Jewish boy in this culture, which meant he, he, meant he would have really known the Bible. And he would have known that the Bible, the Old Testament for him, doesn't say anything about the Messiah coming from Nazareth. In fact, the Bible actually tells of places like Bethlehem where the Messiah is supposed to come from, and that's not Nazareth. So, Nathaniel has a very legitimate, justifiable objection to all this Jesus stuff. And here's what Philip's response is to this guy's issues. And I love it. This is so good. Look at verse 46. He simply says, okay, come and see. And that's so simple, and it's so good. He doesn't argue with him. He doesn't present a case before him. He doesn't get preachy or pushy. He just says, hey, you got questions? Those are legitimate concerns. Let's go take them to Jesus. Let's go take your questions to him. Let's come and see him together. And here's what I want you to see. Um, Philip invites him to bring his questions to Jesus because he is convinced that Jesus welcomes them. That he's not afraid of them. And, And here's... With a size of, of the room this big, no doubt that there are people in this room that are trying to figure out what you believe about this spiritual stuff. And maybe you have legitimate, like understandably, you know, understandable concerns and issues that like, I can't buy into this Christianity stuff. And what I want you to see from the Bible itself is that the Bible does not condemn your doubts. The Bible does not... Uh, shun you for the fact that you have issues and concerns. It just invites you to come and see. Come and see Jesus. And in fact, what we want RUF to be is like a come and see kind of community. Where you can come in here with your questions, with your issues, and those questions be actually taken seriously. Now I realize in this kind of context, having like a Q&A dialogue is a little bit impossible. So what we've done, at least this semester... In your bulletin, we're offering this like elective small group thing called Questioning Christianity. You can see it in your little, the announcement section of your bulletin. 
Uh, it's going to take place. It's going to start next week. We're offering it two different times in one of the rooms in the Panhellenic Building. And what we're going to do is just take six of the of kind of the culture's biggest questions and objections against Christianity and just offer, try to offer a response in those contexts where we can dialogue a little bit easier. So I, I'd love, I'm inviting you all to come check that out. But also on your little bulletin, you have all of the RUF staff members' contact info on that sheet. In fact, I meant to introduce them. I'll introduce them when I'm done. Uh, but we would love to also like sit down with you over coffee or tea or milkshakes or whatever your jam is. And we would love to, like, you, you've got questions. You're thinking about stuff. You're wrestling with stuff. We would be privileged to do that with you. So please take us up on the offer. Text us. Help, you know, use us as resources in whatever way we can help you come and see and wrestle through your questions and your issues. Because here's what I want you to think about. Let's just say that tomorrow you check your mail. You, you, you go to your actual physical mailbox, not the digital version, but the physical one. And in your mailbox, the only letter you'll get this year is this letter. And it's the letter from the UT registrar's office. And you open it up, it looks very official, and, the, and, the, and the, the letter is on official UT stationery. So you're like, okay, this is legit. Somebody actually signed it at the bottom. And you begin to read it, and it says, congratulations, you have been selected uh, to, uh, to receive the Haslam Neeland Scholarship, which is only given out once every 50 years at random to one student. And you're like, huh, this is weird. Okay, but you keep reading. And the the nature of the scholarship is that you no longer have to go to any of your classes. You you have no more class responsibilities for the next four years. But you will graduate with a college degree with honors credentials. And you get to live on campus or in the fort or wherever with your friends for the next four years. All expenses paid, meal plan included, so that you can still just have fun with your friends for the next four years. And as soon as you graduate, you get, uh, you get to get an entry-level job with any company that you want. That's the nature of the Haslam Neyland Scholarship, and you just want it. Now, if you read this letter tomorrow, you're sitting there and you're thinking, wait a minute. This sounds like that made-up scholarship the RUF guy was talking about last <laughs> night. But here's the question. Would you just crumple it up and throw it away? Would you not at least like send an email to somebody, like call somebody just to like confirm whether or not this is legit? Because the claims of this letter are so big, you better not just doubt that they're true or not. You, you better know whether or not it's true. Because if it is true and you just crumpled up and threw it away, you have blown it. <laughs> My point is, the claims of Jesus are the same way. They are so big. He claims to be the one that can answer all of our biggest questions. He claims to be the one that we were made for. He claims to be God in the flesh. Those claims are so big, you better not just doubt that they're true or not. You better know whether or not they are true. Which means, you have to investigate. You have to ask questions. You have to explore. You can't just download whatever faith you may have grown up with or what other people think. You have to explore this stuff for yourself. Because, if it's true... If Jesus is actually telling the truth and you just have crumpled him up and thrown it away, you've blown it. Jesus welcomes our questions. But I want you to see, secondly, he doesn't just welcome them. It actually is is kind of more intense than that. He encourages our questions, meaning he's not just going to tolerate your questions like, hey, it's great that you got some concerns or issues. I'll hear them out. No, it's actually he wants us to think 
deeply, to ask deep, hard questions. And let me show you where I get this. Go back to the story. Look at verse 47. Nathaniel decides to come and see Jesus, even though he's got real hesitations. And as he's approaching Jesus, Jesus sees him and starts describing him like dead on. And Nathaniel's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How do you know? How do you, know? you don't know me. How do you know me? They've never met before. And look at verse 48. Jesus' answer is, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, cards on the table here. Scholars don't have any idea what in the world he's talking about here. Nathaniel's doing something under a fig tree. Maybe it was spiritual. Maybe it was shady. I don't know. But nobody knew what he was doing under that tree. So when Jesus says, Hey, I saw you under that tree... Whatever was going on was so private, it was so meaningful that when Jesus says, I saw you, Nathaniel's eyes turn into saucers, and look what he says in verse 49, like this emotional response, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Now that's quite a response. If you think about it, here was this guy who was cool and philosophical and skeptical, and then he has this emotional like explosion like two seconds later. He was like, you know, like the philosophy major and then goes like hardcore, I, I don't even know, charismatic or Pentecostal or whatever, like right on the spot. He gets really emotional. But listen to what Jesus says in response to this quick shift. It's really fascinating. Look at verse 50. Jesus says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Here's what Jesus is saying. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You believe just because I said I saw you under the fig tree? That's all it took? That's great, but you need to keep exploring. You need to keep asking questions. You don't even know who I am. You need to slow down a little bit because you have no clue who I am. What's so fascinating here is that Nathaniel has this 180 degree transformational, camp high, mountaintop worship experience. And Jesus looks at him and says, hey, that is great that you had this experience. But that's not sufficient. That's not enough. You need more than just an experience. If all you have is an experience, it's not going to last. You need something deeper. I think one of the reasons why I resonate with the story so much, and I love Nathaniel, is because he reminds me so much of me. I, I did not, I was not a Christian growing up. In fact, I remember in high school, my mom is a Christian. I sat on that couch with her. And I remember being so angry at just like the concept of God. And I remember her asking her all these questions on the couch. Like, how can, how can one God hear the prayers of like a billion people at once? Like, explain that, Mom. Or, um, <laughs> or uh, you know, is believe, like, how is believing in God any different from believing in Santa Claus? Like, this is all made up fairy tale stuff. Or... Uh, did Adam have a belly button? Huh, Mom? And, um, you know, big questions. And the summer after my sophomore year in high school, I went to a youth camp with my youth group and um, actually to the same place where we go to every year for summer conference. So another little plug for why you should go to summer conference because I went there as a sophomore in high school. But I go to this camp. And uh, I hear the gospel for the first time, and I become a Christian. And all of my big philosophical questions didn't seem to matter as much because I was so caught up in this 
new experience of knowing Jesus and how exciting it was to be a part of people that I, I didn't know what it was like to be a part of a Christian community. It was a whole new camp high, awesome experience. I come, I come back from that camp like totally like turned on Jesus juice and very excited get home and I get involved in the church and it has like this intense awesome worship and I'm loving it every time it's just like I'm just I'm on fire as the kids say (laughs) go back to that same camp the next summer and I got a little disappointed because it wasn't as like intense it like wasn't as awesome and I started to notice as I got further and further into high school and even into my first couple years in college it felt harder and harder to manufacture that feeling of that excitement that connection with God and I, and I wanted it to be exciting I wanted like, I'd sit down and read the Bible and I'd get frustrated because it just like it wasn't exciting anymore it was kind of boring I didn't know what I was reading half the time and so by the time I got into college by my sophomore year in college Christianity just wasn't exciting to me anymore. It wasn't like giving me the same rush, the same feelings. What was exciting to me was girls and alcohol and video games and like playing stupid pranks with my friends. And like that was really exciting to me. And it actually wasn't until my junior year when, which, when God used the ministry of RUF, believe it or not, to like rescue me again from myself. But my point is... If the only thing that was anchoring my faith was emotional experience, I think Jesus would confirm this. That's not, that's not deep enough. It's not good enough. If the only thing that is anchoring your faith is your emotional experience, it will not sustain you when really hard things hit in your life. When you experience intense suffering, tragedy, you will not want to have an intense emotional experience. In fact, you won't be able to have an intense emotional experience. Jesus is suggesting, he's encouraging us to keep thinking, to keep asking questions, to keep digging deeper, because we need, in those moments, we're going to need answers, we're going to need truth, we're going to need a faith that is rooted in something bigger and deeper than just a temporal feeling. So he encourages us to keep asking questions. And I think he welcomes our questions and he encourages our questions because ultimately, lastly, he answers them. Our questions are meant to drive us to him. And that's where he takes us at this last point. So look at, look at, uh, look at how Jesus answers um, Nathaniel's questions. Look at, the, look at the last verse there. He says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's his answer. And you're like, that's confusing. But here's the thing, Nathaniel, like I said before, he would have known the Bible well. And Jesus is referring to his story from the Old Testament, actually from Genesis 28. And just a quick recap of that story, there's this guy named Jacob who fell asleep. And he has this dream of heaven opening up and like this giant ladder coming down. And there are these angels that are just kind of going up and down the ladder. And Jesus says, hey Nathaniel, remember that story? Yeah, I'm the ladder. Angels are ascending and descending on the Son of Man, which was Jesus' kind of favorite self-given nickname. The Son of Man. Call me Son of Man. So, like, that was his nickname. He's saying, I'm the ladder of that story. And you hear what he's saying. Jesus is saying, I'm the access access to heaven. I am the connection between God and this world. I am the answer to your deepest 
and most ultimate questions? I'm the answer. It's me. His response, his answer to all of Nathaniel's questions is just, it's me. I'm the latter. And here's what I want you to think through with, with me for just a second. I want you to pay attention to how this is so different from every religion and every philosophical outlook on the planet. Every other philosophy or religious system says, if you want to connect with God, then you need to start doing some stuff and start climbing the ladder up to him. You need to believe this stuff and get involved in these things and start climbing. You need to be a good person and get involved in religious service and keep climbing. You need to stop drinking and stop smoking and stop having sex. Keep climbing. And maybe if you're good enough and you try hard enough, and you're devout enough, maybe when you die, you will have reached the top and God will look at you, maybe grade on a curve and say, okay, you can connect with me. And Jesus says the exact opposite. He says, there is no way you could have climbed a ladder up to heaven, so I came down to you. I'm the ladder that has come down to you to do for you what you can never do for yourself. You can never climb your way up to me. You can never save yourself, so I came down to save you. Every other religion is saying, here's what you have to do to find God. Christianity is saying, here's what God has done to find you. And in so doing, Jesus is saying, the answer to all of your ultimate questions about life is found in me. Uh, A couple of years ago, I heard this story about... uh, a Polish man named Witold Pilecki. It's an amazing name. I've got to be pronouncing it correctly. Witold Pilecki. Um, his story takes place in the 1940s. He is a Polish man and grew up in Poland. And uh, people in his area started to hear rumors about concentration camps that were happening. It was just kind of hearsay. Nobody had kind of gotten outside of these concentration camps to to talk about it. But Witold Pilecki was a Polish Christian. And what he did is he went to like wherever some government agency and he got identification papers basically lying and saying that his nationality was that he was Jewish. He got a fake ID saying, I'm Jewish. And when the Nazis rolled through Warsaw and they were gathering up all the Jewish people and they had them in a big line, they were loading them up on these trains that were going to take them to Auschwitz, Witold Pilecki just walks up voluntarily and stands in the back of the line. And so when the Nazis are checking his papers, he says, yep, I'm Jewish, and he gets onto the train and goes to Auschwitz. And everybody's trying to break out of Auschwitz, and he's the one guy trying to break in. And once he gets in... He encourages the other inmates while they're in there. While he's in there, he uh, smuggles out information. He starts documenting war crimes. He's in Auschwitz for three years. During that time, he endured intense labor. He was beaten severely. Uh, he contracted typhoid fever, and eventually, he was executed and buried in a mass grave. Who does that? Who breaks into hell for the sake of other people? Jesus does. That's what he's telling Nathaniel. I have come down, I've broken into this world, our world, with all of its war and all of its terrorism and all of its racism and all of its broken political system and all of its hatred and bigotry and evil. Jesus has broken in. 
He has come down. He has climbed down to do for us what we can never do for ourselves. And he lives a perfect life of love and sacrificial obedience. And he cares for the poor and the oppressed. And he is concerned about justice. And then he dies for his enemies so that heaven could be opened up for people like you and me. He came down to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He is the answer. And so think about the big questions of your life as we finish here. What are the big questions in the deepest recesses of your heart? You're asking questions like, you've got the question of identity. Who am I really? And the answer that the Bible is going to say is, Jesus will make you a son or a daughter. That's your new identity. You have the question of security. How can I feel stable and secure in a chaotic, out-of-control world? And the answer is, Jesus loves you and is for you. You have the question of suffering. Why do bad things happen? How could a good God allow such suffering in the world? And the answer is, Jesus suffers with you and for you and will one day make it all go away. You have the question of meaning. Like, what's the point of this life? And the answer is, it's all a gift from Jesus. Every breath you're breathing right now, every heartbeat is a gift from him. So this life is intended to enjoy him and to glorify him forever. You have the question of purpose. Like, what should I be doing with my life? And the answer is, Jesus invites you into his mission in the world. You have the question of change. Like, why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do? Why can't I do the good things that I want to do? And the answer is, Jesus empowers you with his spirit. You have the question of your pain. What do I do with my depression, my hurt, my story, my wounds? And the answer is, Jesus is with you and is at work in you. You have the question of guilt. And the answer is, Jesus' grace and acceptance of you. You have the question of loneliness. And the answer is, Jesus and his church. You have the question of authority. Like, who can I trust in this world? And the answer is, Jesus and his word. My point is, all of your deepest questions... The Bible seems to claim are answered in him. And so here's what I want to do. I want to invite you to just keep coming back to RUF. I know it's hot in here. I'm sweaty. I'm uncomfortable. I'm with you. I want you to keep coming back to RUF because what we're going to do this semester is just simply that. We're just going to come and see who this Jesus is as he talks with all of these different types of people. And maybe over the course of the semester, some of us will begin to get a fresh picture of who Jesus really is, what he came to do, and what in the world that has to do with you and me. So I want you to come and see with us. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this group of folks here tonight that I know some people... Uh, this might be their last time here just because this is not their thing and it's too hot and too many people and I get it. And so I pray, Father, wherever we find ourselves tonight, uh, that whether or not we're involved in this ministry, that for all of us we would continue to come and see who you are, that we would maybe for the first time take up the invitation to bring our biggest questions to you, that maybe you have answers that we're looking for. I pray that you would bless this group as they move into the semester with all the weights and the responsibilities and the, the, uh, just everything that these folks are dealing with, with family and friends and tragedies and depression and addiction and shame and pain. Would you meet them? Would you convince us all afresh that you are good and that you're for us? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.